Dr. Payne, do you remember the very first time you read the Bible? Like you cracked open the Bible, book of Genesis, Genesis 1-1. Do you remember? Um, okay. I don't remember the first time, but I have a first memory. Oh, really? What yes, is What is it? I do. Well, I was raised in a pastor's household, so the Bible was just everywhere at all times. Yeah. And I was a really nerdy kid, and so I just read all the time. And my parents just turned me loose on the Bible <laughs> and didn't even give me any other instructions other than to read it, which is bold. They, they wanted you to swim? They kicked you off yeah, the edge of the did. pier? Uh, so my first memory comes from my favorite book of the Bible, which is the last book of the Bible, Ooh. the book of Revelation. And it is the scene in Revelation where... They're describing the city and all the gemstones that make up the city. Very pretty. Yeah. How about you? What's your first memory with the Bible? You or my, do you remember the first time? I don't remember the first time at all, but I think my first memories with the Bible are kind of like memories of being in a very particular traditional church setting. Oh, pews okay. And hearing a pastor like preaching a thunderous sermon, like shouting and pacing and stuff like that. With and the, spitting and sweating. 100%. Awesome. That's um, the only way to do it. And just like doing it. <laughs> Welcome to the I Need to Know More podcast for Theo 101 on George Fox Digital. This week, we are talking about the topic of creation. Creation, as as in Genesis chapters 1 through 11, we got to start somewhere. I think this is probably a good place to start. I think it is. <laughs> yeah. Genesis 1 through 11, I just, man, I, I said this in the lecture video for this week, but it is, it is one of my, it's just, even if you're not a Christian, even if you aren't with the Bible spiritually as, as, as you and I are and, mm -hmm. and so on, just to read those 11 chapters just gives you this primal, dark, bright, just complex, ambiguous blueprint of what it means to be a human being. You know what's interesting, what the students may or may not know about you, Dr. Doak, is that you're a very artistic person. And I think that your take on this first introduction is very artistic, aesthetically minded, oh. right? Like you're into the well, the beauty or, or I would like to think it. that. No, I, I think I am. Whether I am an artistically adept person is a separate question. But I do I do love those aspects of it. Like mm -hmm. I, some of my first education in the Bible was all about that issue of like narrative artistry. Just like how do they paint this picture? How do they make this work that's, in terms of character and, and, and narrative? I just love it. I love it. I love it. Well, that's a refreshing take for me because my first memories of Genesis are this is like Students, this is something that only your parents would understand, probably, <laughs> but it included a, an old timey thing called a flannel graph, oh, a flannel board, yeah, yeah, yeah. wherein, you know, people would create these very two dimensional depictions of the creation account. Right. And it was, I mean, I learned a lot about, you know, on this day, this happened, mm -hmm. but it was um, fairly limited in its scope in terms of just imagining what happened. So, right. like, right. when you think about right. God, like, God's breath like, or God's spirit is on the waters. Right. That's beautiful and like oh. extraordinary and scary. Oh yeah. I mean, it, totally. I mean, I think this is something that's important for students to know, just readers of the Bible, no matter which kind of reading strategies you've chosen, whether so-called literal strategies or so-called symbolic or allegorical strategies or both or something else, readers of the Bible have always, I think Christian readers of the Bible have always affirmed that if the Bible is God's word, it is packed with meaning. Mm. It is not mm -hmm. limited. You know, like it's, it's like unlimited, it's explosive, like it's really big. That's, that's actually a really fun and exciting way to start the whole Bible. Because I think a lot of times people, when they 
imagine the Bible like as a public document that mm-hmm. people have a lot of opinions about. Right. Um, they tend to see it, I think, primarily as like a legal document. Like, right. You right. know, which actually I've been watching like a drama about the law, like lawyers. And I'm like, okay, oh. there could be beauty there. Uh. But that's not what I think of first when I think of like no. legal documents. No, you know? or, or like a, there, there's a model of the Bible that some people get into too. And I, by the way, I just want to be clear. I don't think it's a horrible model. I don't think it's, it's a model no one should use. I just think if it's your only model, you're really missing out, which is like, I've heard it abbreviated like B-I-B-L-E, best instructions before leaving earth. Oh, right, right. Like, I've heard idea, it basic instructions. Basic instructions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> the idea that the Bible is like a car owner's manual or an instruction manual mm-hmm. that can kind of like just get you through technically in this life as you wait for something else. Like regardless of the issue of the afterlife and whether or not that's a good model for thinking about what the Bible is for and so on. Like this idea of the Bible as an instruction mo- manual could work in some situations. I, rem- sure, I remember moments in my faith where I've turned to scripture, but I also think that is an extraordinarily limited, limiting model for thinking about what scripture is. Um, that that just basically nails you down to using the Bible like an instrument to try to get you things that you want, which I think is not a good way to relate to God personally. Am I being too harsh about that? Well, I, I think that, I, I don't think you're being too harsh about that. And I think that, you know, this week you gave a lecture on the creation, which is one of those basic foundational stories. Mm-hmm. And it's so pivotal, so important. I think we need all the tools at our disposal. Yeah, you know, you don't, above. you know, just the instructional um, aspect of the the beginning stories of, mm-hmm. of the scriptures are, that's just one, one way of looking at it. And so I right. think you need the entire set, the, right. the entire toolbox right. to really get at what's going on um, in, in the creation story. Yeah. Now, you lectured, you had kind of four big points in your lecture. Yeah, I think there were three or four or something like that. Yeah, you talked about the Bible's creation story as a revolutionary document, and you oh, yeah. you compared it to another ancient document. Was that like a revelation to you when you learned how distinct the the Bible's creation account was? Oh, it was so huge. It was so huge because I think like if you grow up with these stories even a little bit, and I, I like I kind of grew up with them and I kind of didn't. It's, it's, compl- it's complicated. Okay, but... <laughs> I, yeah, I think I had an idea. Like you read the Bible and if you don't read other ancient literature, you, you maybe wouldn't, you maybe would even be surprised as I think I was in a way, maybe not surprised, but just like, just like stunned to know that there were other creation stories in the ancient world at all. Like there were numerous cultures and even cultures where, and and I think I suggested this in the lecture, if not, I'm suggesting it now, which is people who lived in ancient Israel around the time that say this creation story might've been written or heard, let's say just the biblical period they might have even heard some of these other creation stories. So like this stuff doesn't exist in outer space or in a vague fake land or in a vacuum. It occurred in a real place with people who had other associations in their mind as well. And so to know that I was like, oh, oh, it's on, you know, that's, that's important to me. I think that's really fascinating because I I think about our own cultural context, the story of origins is so important, Mm -hmm. whether it's just the story of your family, like, you know, how your family came to be. My story has, or my family has like a kind of mythological story (laughs) about who we are as a family, or if you take, so that's like the micro level, or if you take it on a macro level, who we are as like a culture, as a nation, you know, how you tell that story tells a lot about like 
who you think you are, not just in the past, but who you are now and who oh, you yeah. ought to be in the oh, future. Is that not, I mean, culturally, like, is that not like one of our biggest moments right now is this question of like, what is America? That's right. Like, what were we? When did we really begin? Was the year 1776 or was it 1619 or was it some other year? Like mm -hmm. really difficult things. And so this question of origin, oh, no, I think you're totally right. And it's that's the really exciting role. I think the artistic role of like the the Christian scriptures and Jewish scriptures and Muslim scriptures and also like our own, like I'm thinking about artistic renderings like Hamilton yeah. um, that depict that there are these like different depictions of who we are as a people. But you also talked about something, you know, beyond the artistic rendering um, of, of the Bible. You talked about um, the idea, the role that science plays in our understanding of the Bible and specifically the Christian or the creation narrative right. science hasn't removed our need for faith you said yeah and in fact i just heard a scientist talking the other day i should have a citation here but you'll just have to trust me that i'm <laughs> making this up i heard a scientist talking the other day about how i mean science is responding to many of the like science is a response to mystery that's fascinating you know like scientists are obsessed with mystery right and like you know, I, I this idea that science and faith are just these totally separate enterprises that aren't talking about any of the same questions and are doing things in totally different ways. Yeah, the scientific method is really specific, you know, like it's not the same as interpreting poetry. Like I grant that. But e even so, like on a bigger level, I think the idea that science is pushing into mystery and that and that by the way, that good science, too. And I think that any scientist would say this, even like a totally secular scientist like science is not about a hundred percent objectivity. That's not a thing, right? Like yeah. science, si science tackles mysteries and science does so in subjective ways that are open to change and interpretation, just like anything else. I really appreciate that. And I'm, I am especially appreciative of that for our students who are now in the so-called STEM mm. uh, disciplines. Mm -hmm. um, if you are in a sciencey kind of discipline, that can be a really fascinating thing to learn when you first start you know right. you may have enjoyed chemistry or biology in high school but when you start like moving into upper division levels of inquiry you realize how much uncertainty there oh, really yeah. is in the world and I think you know those of us with PhDs know this very well the more you know the more you know you don't know right, right? there's a lot right. of mystery and there's some beauty in that as well you also talk about creation is about the now and the future, not just the past, and that right. it actually affirms the material world. Right, right. Those things are really important to me because it was kind of like what we were talking about just a few minutes ago, which is if the story is just like an instruction manual about something that happened, you're now, you or I, as, as readers, we're not on the hook anymore for the story, <laughs> right? right? It lets you off the hook completely like, oh, thanks for the, thanks for the, thanks for the chronicle of what happened. Bye. Yeah. You know, like now you're off the hook. Now spiritually, you can just like set that aside on a shelf. I do not feel that I can set that story aside on a shelf in my life or the depictions of any of these characters and what they go through. Like it, it has to still be happening. Like we have to read that as readers, as Christians, and it has to be real now. And you, you talk about Revelation being one of your favorite books at the end. I mean, Genesis and Revelation have a lot in common, actually. They're beautiful. About their vision for for really the future. Revelation, in fact, spoiler alert, picks up huge threads from Genesis about the river imagery from Genesis chapter two mm -hmm. in particular mm -hmm. 
and about the the tree of life and the leaves and like uses that to talk about not the past but the future i caught one speaking of because in preparation for this lecture mm-hmm. um i was or for this podcast i yeah. was going back through your lecture and the bible readings and then my son asked me a question last night no way um yeah he's he's a little guy and he was we do we have this really extensive bedtime routine that includes like stories and whatever we tell each other stories anyway he's really into swords right now for whatever reason you know kids go through phases and he asked me this phases. question who isn't into question, swords right? maybe it's a male thing okay anyway. i don't know i don't know he asked well. me this question he was like mommy does god have a sword oh dang and of course i thought of my favorite book of the bible revelation yep. um and i said Yes, Yes, God does does have a sword. But um, it made me think of the sword in the creation narrative, the fall, otherwise known as the fall. We're going to talk about that a little bit in depth today. Um, But it made me think of the sword. There's a sword on both ends of the story. The flashing sword. Yeah. fire guarding the garden. Yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful. It is. Actually, it's really fascinating. The affirmation of the material world point to is something I always feel like needs to be hammered down because especially you know depending on where we are in our faith journey or non-faith journey it may be that a lot of us are just kind of coming to learning about christianity or the bible for the first time in an environment like this and i think one very common misconception is that for christians faith is a totally otherworldly thing mm-hmm. like it's about some other world like what we're trying to do is escape our material world or that god hates the material world and it turns out that the very first chapter of the bible is like a stunning, all about the material a stunning refutation of that idea And so this problem of how we balance like this life and this world versus, you know, something else is like a serious balancing act for Christians. But it is a balancing act. It's not about it's not about embracing one and leaving the other behind. And I think to the extent that I can remember, like my quote, childhood religion, if you want to call it that, it was very like life and world denying in ways that I think were not actually even Christian ways. Mm. No offense, mom and dad, like they try, you know, but like I just mean like there was a sense in which like. Everything. I think there was a sense in which to guard against an overindulgence in the material world and its problems and its vices, that it was like we had to go to this other end. That like the material world was essentially something bad. And I'm just like thinking, you know, no, like that's that is like an anti-Christian view. Like that's an anti-Bible view. It just is. I I think you know over the course of the year, I think that's something that we should investigate and interrogate, mm. you know, repeatedly because it doesn't just come up in Genesis. Mm. Although Genesis is the starting point for our conversation today, right. I think we should continually ask ourselves that question, and we should ask ourselves, you know, students. I hope you're asking yourselves that question as well. What is it? What does it mean to be a faithful? Mm-hmm. Um, reader of the scripture and what are the the cultural things um that are that you may have thought are christian Mm -hmm. and then when you read the scripture and you see this like intense affirmation of creation of the physical world of human relationships Mm -hmm. um what is that you know how do you wrestle through that how do you evaluate that oh my gosh we're taking we're tackling one passage today okay so that's very much along those lines right in these i need to know part podcasts we're always going to try if we can we're going to try to just read scripture out loud and talk about it to Mm -hmm. try to Model the ways that we think reading the Bible in a a deeper, rich way could look just as a kind of starter thing, but also just because we love it. Yes. That's another reason just to do it. So why not focus on 
Genesis chapter three, the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. Like how much more Bible can you get? Yes, we're going to read it and then we're going to talk about it. Should we, how should we read it? Like it's, it's a long story. Yeah. Let's divide it into chunks maybe. Yeah. Chunks. Like the the paragraph divisions here, um, I think are good paragraph divisions in this Bible that we're using. So yeah. Follow along if you want. We're we're starting at Genesis chapter three. Or you can just listen. Um, do you want to, do you want to alternate every other verse? Do you want to have parts? Yeah. (laughs) You, You start, you start. Okay. Let's alternate verses. Okay. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Okay. Drama. There's so much drama. What is it like when you just read this now, probably for the 200th time in your life? A gazillionth time, right? Like what, like what, I don't know, what comes to your mind? Like what questions, what features, what stands out to you? Well, I think the thing that stands out to me is how something familiar can take on meanings that transcend it. So many people are familiar with the big ideas or the general plot points Mm -hmm. of this, but it has come to mean so many different things. And there are so many different um, theological interpretations. So for you students, um, you may know that I'm a, I'm a historian, so I'm not a biblical scholar. Dr. Doak is the biblical scholar here. And so I'm looking at the history of interpretation Mm -hmm. of this passage when I read it. So I'm just struck by all the many meanings that people gain from this little story and for me, and now I want to hear what you think about it, um, yeah. Dr. Doak, for me, I look at that and I, I see like a long history of who is to blame. Who is to blame? We got to blame. This. Blaming. Yeah. The blaming game. What do you see? You've read this many more times than I have, oh, I'm man. sure. Well, no, let's, let's, let's go with this thread of the blaming thing, like in these seven verses. Like, and okay, l- we should clarify, by the way, who, what are the options for whom you could blame for what actually does go down? Oh, right yeah, here? that's right. Like, who are okay. all, like, without even affirming one or the other, what are the options you could, one could even pick? I see four options oh, here. Oh, yeah, name the four. What do you okay. think? Okay, I see the the most obvious three and then i see an additional one oh. so one is the serpent uh-huh. obviously just blame him he's there. very crafty you blame him the he's trickster crafty. right he's crafty. you gotta blame him i see the woman blame her the woman yep. um and i see the man mm. so those to me are the three most obvious but i see a fourth oh, what's, person what's to fourth? blame what's the fourth god well, right. Like God has instigated this whole thing. Like everything yeah. that happens is God's own creation that God is responsible for. These people have, it seems, I mean, one issue too is this question of free will that comes up that people often, yes. like, do they have free will or did God already know that this was going to happen? Some, by the way, some um, some early church thinkers, I'm thinking of Irenaeus, but also Augustine. These are I was two, thinking of Augustine too. The Felix Culpa. 
the mm-hmm. happy mistake, Felix Culpa's Latin for happy mistake. Why would this be a happy mistake? Because the infraction here committed in the garden provides the way for God's plan of salvation to really unfold, namely later in the Bible, spoiler alert, Jesus. Yeah, well, I believe it was Augustine who said, and we'd have to you know, check with Dr. Claire to make <laughs> sure, but I believe that Augustine argued, um, a very famous church leader, argued that God created this problem Mm -hmm. to reveal a deeper human problem, Ah, which is pride. So basically the problem here, if we're going to blame God for this, if God is responsible for this, the problem then is that humans wanted to be like God, right? So the the serpent tempts them, but they already had that in them. Right. But Augustine's not the only Christian thinker on this. So like, Mm -hmm. how would we think through Christianly? Maybe help me out as a Bible scholar. Yeah. If it's not, if God is not responsible mm-hmm. for this, mm-hmm. then who is responsible well, and why? Yeah, I'm, I think the other line of thinking from from the early church, from Irenaeus, Dr. Claire, one of our teaching members here, is an expert on Augustine. Mm-hmm. So I don't think any of us are an expert on Irenaeus. As students, you can I'm get, not, you can get really not. deep into this stuff, students. Yeah. You, can, you can become like a theological expert on a particular thinker from the early church who analyzes X So and fun, so fun. You can nerd out forever. You become a professional nerd. You become a student for the rest of your life. Yes, That is great. to say, a professor. <laughs> um, you just keep coming back. But, I, okay, so the other way is to think of this, and this is very much, I think, not an intuitive way of thinking about it for a lot of Christian readers, at least that I've encountered, is that the story is about learning and growth. Mm-hmm. That in fact, Adam and Eve here, it's like, okay, they're naked, right? And they're in a garden and they're not having kids yet, at least as far as we know. There's no childbearing narrated. Mm-hmm. We, could, we, could, we could let our minds run wild with what they're doing there in their special garden, okay? But the fact is they don't have any kids yet. And it's like, how old are kids when they're they just like- They hang out with God every day. They hang out yeah. with God every day. How old are kids though? You 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 have no kids in this age range, right? Like how yes. old are kids when they love running around naked? It's oh, like yeah, toddlerdom, yeah. right? It's so cute. Yes. But at some point you become ashamed of that. And so it's like you have to kind of grow past that, right? To become an adult. So I, I think in some ways, um, there's a Christian way of thinking about this, which is, yeah, kind of along the lines of what you were saying, like God has a plan, even in the midst of human failures, even if humans have this inner proclivity to do something that they shouldn't have done, there's something bigger at stake, which is humans growing up it raises the question so many questions like why doesn't god want them to know good and evil like does he want them to be children forever in this kind of like nudity thing or i don't under i I, that's always that's puzzling to me as i read it i and i to me um i think there are a couple of things that you said that that got me thinking and one was um who like what does it mean if god um creates this in some way to like for human maturity mm-hmm. if we take like that that argument like why is the knowledge of good and evil like so key to right. human and what is it that makes someone to be it, like god basically right. like why is that right. godish one of the things that i'm always fascinated by because i grew up in a tradition that was very much into like the spiritual world and mm-hmm. the realities of the spiritual world mm-hmm. um is the role of the serpent like how much power did the serpent actually have right. to make this happen? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I kind of want to like investigate that a little oh bit. Uh, well, and it's a the serpent is a wild animal. The text just says that. Yeah. Right? Now there's a Christian reading tradition which even appears in the New Testament, by the way, later. So for Christians, we often use one part of the Bible to interpret another. Like that's a very it's con- a weird thing that Christians that's do. That's a thing yes. Christians do. So <laughs> if you're not used to that. Just don't don't flip out. But like later in the Bible and later in the tradition, at least even outside of the Bible, 
there's a strong association of this of this serpent, this animal, with the devil, with Satan, mm-hmm. with like an, an absolute enemy of God. That story, though, of who the devil is or Satan is actually not narrated by name anywhere in the Bible, its origins or anything like that. That's um, the fascinating thing to me. I know. Me. So you get this kind of thing. It's a wild animal that God had made, and it's a talking serpent. By the way, here's a fun thing in Hebrew. Um, the statement just a verse before we started, therefore a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, they're one flesh, and the man and his wife were both, in Hebrew, arumim, they were both naked. But then the next verse, now the serpent was more arum, that word arum, it's the same word. So the word naked and the word crafty are the sound, same? Are the, basically the same word and they sound like each other in Hebrew. So like the author there is doing a very subtle sort of wordplay on the notion that the snake is this craft, like craftiness meets nakedness. Like what happens when something that is totally sophisticated and crafty meets something that's totally vulnerable and innocent, right? Interesting. And in that collision, you know, and like you say, maybe it is human pride and so on that that begins to be revealed. But in that collision, humans are totally unprepared, you know, to deal. Like if you're naked and you don't know anything, you're not prepared to deal with a crafty serpent. I think that actually brings up another question, which is, would you rather... What is the price of becoming like God? Mm. Right. Like, do you leave something behind when you enter into this like new, mm-hmm. new realm of knowledge? Oh, yeah. I think for many of the, our students, at least for me, when I was your age, the age of an average college freshman or beginner, mm-hmm. uh, like learning student, um, there were some things that when I learned them, I was like, I, it, there's a heaviness there, yes. right? Yes. Like, like there's a price to maturity and knowing things. And still right. to this day, I'm like, maybe I could have done without knowing whatever it was. Right, right. <laughs> right. And so, but uh, people are like this though. Are you not even like this now as an adult? Like you just, it's like, we just press upward and forward. We just want more, more, yes. more. It's Can't like help just, ourselves. So that does seem to be something kind of like, and I, I have seen that in myself as like, just personally, like, I think what is wrong with me? I mean, maybe not always something is wrong with me when I want to know more, but sometimes it's like, why can I just not settle down? Mm-hmm. You know, like what is, well, why not? I have to ask you a question as a Bible scholar and, um, which is the, the question that immediately comes up for me is who is to blame more <laughs> between these two human beings, right? Right. The history of interpreting this text right. usually puts extra blame on the woman extra blame on the woman Mm -hmm. so i know we only have a few minutes left right but i wonder if we could talk a little bit about these two figures this woman and this man Mm -hmm. who is to blame oh my gosh so the okay i'll say this and this is i think a good reading advice for all students i heard i heard a, a new testament scholar actually saying this the other day this is so key students i just i cannot emphasize this enough the key to interpreting the Bible well, rightly, as an adult, as a person of faith, you actually have to read the Bible. Ah. You have to actually read the text. Yeah. And I think there are so many weird interpretations flying out there that are just not based in the actual text, in the words of the text. I mean, you got to, if you're going to get into this, friends, you got to get into language. You got to get into words. You got to start to love words. And you're like, I don't like words. I'm not into poetry. I'm not into literature. I'm not an English major. Okay. Well, you know what, though? If you're a Christian, too bad. Like, you actually have to. You have to. You have to get into words. So, number one, get into the words on this question. Men and women, I will say, first of all, that just having a man and a woman, that polarity, that duality, it does put a lot of pressure on the question of men and women. And in fact, 
in this next section, which I'm guessing we probably won't have time to read and interpret the way we're doing these first seven verses, they are blaming each other, right? And so the story itself does put that, I don't think it's a foreign question to the text because the story itself puts men and women in conflict. However, we should note, I will note this based on the text, the, the man and the woman are in conflict and blaming only after they have done the wrong thing. And when the world has gone downhill. So that, that's interesting. That state of men and women. And then, too, like as you read on in this in the section, like that long poem about the, the punishment that a woman has and the punishment that a man has. I think we should be clear that all of that is the result of the sin of the problem. It's not the pristine state of human being before they have done their deed. Right. Mm-hmm. I think. OK, I appreciate that on a number of levels. Um one is, yes, you can see, students, hopefully you can see, that in this I Need to Know More podcast, we're really um, exploring how much, the, that there are worlds within worlds within the text. Wheels right? within wheels. Yeah, so we, are, we just play. read seven verses and had a very <laughs> short conversation about them, but there's so much more to know. Oh. And it actually really matters. It deeply matters because if we look at these as foundational texts mm-hmm. to anyone who says that... The, claims to be a Christian. Mm -hmm. These are foundational texts to determining their identity. Um, And the stories that we tell about the text matter. Mm -hmm. And reading the the scripture actually matters so that we can be responsible with it. Um, The traditional Quaker perspective on this text like George Fox University speaking. is a Quaker school yeah George Fox is I feel like we have, we should go out on a on a traditionally Quaker text is they interpret those like male and female men and women's relationships like as the result of the fall so any like inequities between women and men mm-hmm. are the result are are post that act well, right I, I think it's just and, true in the text too right right just as a narrative that is a fact i actually. totally agree and so i think uh, why don't we go out on this which is you know this this narrative is traditionally called the fall um story right. because it talks about like humans both women and men right. are in some ways they they fall out of grace slash favor slash right. whatever like obedience whatever right. um and the responsibility of the christian is to in some way reverse those effects Right, exactly. Like if we're not to re- if we're not to fight against sin, and fight against the effects of sin that pervade our lives in every way, like what are we doing as Christians? <laughs> like yeah. that's like that's like the job number one. So yeah, if 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 a person really wanted to get into it, they could be like, well, Eve talks to the serpent first; it's her fault. Or you could say she's bold enough to do it. Or you could point out, or you out, could say Adam was the one who heard Adam- the instruction in the first place. Or right. So there's like all you could go round and round. Yeah. But verse six, do not forget this detail. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. So you get a sense now. Oh, what a detail in Hebrew! Just like a, just like a quick little phrase in Hebrew there in verse six. I'm looking at the Hebrew Bible right now. I'm just looking at that little phrase. Who was with her? Uh, ima in Hebrew. Just one. Actually, it's just one word in Hebrew. Ima. Just a little. Who was with her? Like a little kind of a side. Right. A little. Like aside. a subtweet of right. the conversation. A, a little subtweet. <laughs> who was with her? And so I think at that point, right now, you're 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 in a position where, and yeah, they do have different consequences and so on. But I think the narrative, ho- however one takes those, and Christians have taken those consequences that follow in different ways. Oh, a bazillion different ways. Men and women are sharing in this this fallen world together, and men and women have probably a duty spiritually, I think, as a Christian, to like repair that world and to overturn. Yes. Thanks so much for hanging in there with us, students. I know we need to know more. I know you need to know more. I need to know more. That's why we're calling this I Need to Know More. (laughs) 